the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Welcome to the USL show. It's brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network and sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. We have an interview today with Rob Salvatore. He is the owner of Charleston Battery. He talks a lot about the business side of things and this transaction, how it went down and what it was like kind of waiting for that that deal to happen and all the changes he was making after the deal happened which hasn't been a very long amount of time, but he's been doing a lot and he's very involved and his outlook on the club as an owner to me was very interesting. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Rob and I hope you do too. Here it is. All right. I have Rob Salvatore on the line. He is the owner of Charleston Battery, new owner of Charleston Battery. And we're going to talk all about that. Rob, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, it's, it's great to be with you. Got a, uh... Got a lot going on down here, so <laughs> that's what I hear. We were talking offline a little bit about uh, you're keeping busy with the club. I don't know if I expected you to be so involved with the day to day operation. Not every owner is. Can you tell me about what you're up to right now as an owner? Yeah, so uh, part of what part of what actually attracted us to the opportunity was was the opportunity to and and I would say the necessity to get involved. Um, so on a on a on a current day-to-day basis, um, my focus is really on getting the facility ready for play, uh, which is a a big project um, with a very very hard deadline. So, <laughs> you know, if you're if you're building a house and you have a place to live, it's like, all right, you know, we're going to try to move in on you know April first. But you know, when you are beholden to a schedule, you know, in a league where many many other people are dependent upon it, it's a, it's a real hard deadline. Yeah, um, but I've um, but, but I'm, I'm also helping out with other aspects of, of the business, um, day to day and, and really, uh, sh- really shadowed the team for most of the 2019 season as we were trying to get the deal done. And, uh, and then when we took over at the end of October, it was very, very hands-on, um, trying to make some sense of the front office and kind of what we had and what we didn't have and, and where I thought from, an organizational structure uh, or lack thereof, it needed the most help. So I kind of dove right in on that, which included uh, my wife and I uh, moving down to Charleston uh, so we we could be here full time. That's great to hear. I love that. And I think we're going to get more detailed on that. But as I asked you that question, I realized realized we need to kind of back up a few steps before we get too deep on that. Let's start with you Mm -hmm. taking over. You said you shadowed for the season prior in 2019. And uh, you took over not long ago. Walk us through that transition and what you guys, there have been a lot of events uh, happening since that time. So tell us what happened there. Yeah, so we, I first came down, so, you know, any diligence process that goes on with a deal and a transaction like this. So that was kind of the spring of last year. So really when when they were kicking off their season was when we first came down to get a better feel for things 
um, and and why the deal took a long time. But at the it, and that was you know as frustrating as it might have been for uh, for everybody, including the team in the front office and you know prior ownership, um, and for us, we were anxious as well. Uh, was the fact that it was the, our deal was always dependent upon securing a venue. Uh, suitable to us as the purchaser and we we really tried uh there was a huge effort um not just uh on our part uh but on the really on the part of, of the sellers um uh, the front office staff that that was kind of read into it and really the community down here to try to make something work and um we were pursuing playing at the citadel which i think was you know kind of now been widely covered um, and that just couldn't happen because they had uh, priorities to, to put in field turf and it would have blown up the season. And then uh, the opportunity to play at the College of Charleston uh, down at Patriots Point came up and that was uh, that became real and kind of came together very fast and has been uh, really a blessing because uh, they, the school, and the town of Mount Pleasant where that sits and uh, the Patriots Point Development Authority who uh, kind of oversees that, that parcel of land and some of the property. Um, they, uh, they've all been incredibly cooperative and really want to help us set the team up for long-term success. And there's a lot in between all that. We can dive into any <laughs> aspect of it, but, uh, but that's yeah. how the 19 season kind of unfolded. And we, we then took over right after we were eliminated and that was, that was done on purpose. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. I, so I did read all about those trans, those events that did transpire. That you know there was Stonyfield was an option that you sold. Uh, the MUSC Health um, Health Stadium on Daniel's Island is the big one that we we all kind of thought about and, and dwelt on a little bit um, in between. And you mentioned the Citadel there, and now you've settled on Patriots Point. Which the reason you're having to be there every day and do renovations is it only holds 1,000 people, right? Right, right. So, right, and they. So that was a just, just to, um, just to cover that off that last piece. So, the previous ownership had had sold. They owned the land and the stadium. They had sold that off. So it was there was never the opportunity for us to do it together. And by the time we showed up was when they were talking about Stony Field where the team had started, and that that probably wasn't as real as maybe some people thought it was. Uh, and then we turned our attention to the Citadel, and then eventually, you know, to to where we landed. Um, you know, which, which, as I said, was, was, was really good. Um, the, the factor that came with it is what you alluded to, which is capacity. Um, so we, we were able to work out, uh, before we closed that we would have the permission to get it to, um, USL championship standard. Um, so we're working on that. Uh, it'll probably be, um, a step or two to get us there. I don't think we'll, we'll probably be right around 4,000 on opening day. And then we'll um, we'll see what we have and kind of what's in demand, and then we'll get it up to the five thousand capacity. Um, building on, um, you know, do they want? Do we need more supporter section? Do we need, you know, do we need more premium seats? Do we want to put in field level seats? Do we want to do some kind of VIP suite stuff? So we'll, we'll see where the demand is, and then add on, which is a pretty nice luxury to have. Uh, quite honestly, right. Mm-hmm. Most, most things get built and you're kind of stuck with it. And we're going to get a chance to get like two or three kicks at the can and build on somewhat modularly, which I think is, you know, hopefully allows us to make a better decision. And so this is viewed as a long-term solution. It sounds like. Yeah, I, for me, it is. I mean, the, I could, I could tell, you know, I know uh, some people it's in a lot of ways, the first question I get, which is, you know, how long are you guys going to be there? And my intent is to get it right and mm-hmm. to be there. 
nice. you know, <laughs> right? So yeah. um, if, if we don't get it right, I think we're going to have to look inward as to why we didn't. But we have the we have a two-year deal with a two-year option after it. Um, and I could just tell you that the level of investment that we're making in the property, because we want to get it right and create a great environment, um, is such that staying there uh, makes sense because because of that that investment and effort. And I I think I, I really like what's what we have planned. Um, they're starting to move earth around, um, and a lot more is going to get done in the next couple of weeks. There's been a lot of kind of planning and preparation that's been going on, and now stuff is going to really start to happen in earnest. Um, and, um, and people will see that we'll be releasing some, some plans and rendering publicly to, to show everybody what's going on. Um, and I, I'm really excited about what we got going on. It's a great field players, players and staff love it. We we're out there last night against coastal Carolina and it's in an awesome location. So it, at least on paper, it checks all the boxes, but like anything else, it's, it's execution dependent. So that's on us now. <laughs> well, a lot of those things, I'm not sure were evident to everyone if they weren't really, really reading carefully. And so I find it interesting. I didn't realize that the, the stadium had been sold before you took over by the previous management. Um, and so Correct. a lot of us were a little worried about Charleston. You're, you're a storied club and you've talked about it in a lot of the articles about you guys, about being the oldest continuously running American club, been around since 1993, nonstop. Um, you know, black band stadium was the first privately owned, um, soccer specific stadium. That's huge. A lot of people think that Columbus was, and, and it's not always true. Um, I find all that interesting. And then you beat him by a couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay. There you go. But yeah. It was, it was very at the time it was you know it was really trailblazing when when they did it um for sure it's you know that's whenever you're first to do anything at that scale um you know to put your own money up and take that kind of risk is great and the fact that it continued is is awesome a testament to um you know the the club's history and to this community it's it's really what attracted us um you know knowing the community and kind of having ties down here on the low country uh, with my parents who lived just down the road, it um, that all mattered and re- is really kind of like what initially attracted us to to the opportunity. Yeah, and and I think when we saw that that stadium was going away, we were a little worried about you know this storied club and what would happen to it. You know, rumors of a rebrand really scared us. You know, we didn't want to see the name Charleston Battery go away, but. Um, as far as the rebrand, you guys did a really great job. You hired the right guy for sure is, is kind of what I've gotten out of that. Um, and I'm going to let listeners kind of hear more about you in order to maybe develop their own opinions. But as I said earlier, you're very, very involved and, um, you're a part of the everyday operation right now, at least. And I was a little surprised at that. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to what we were talking about before. Um, you kind of restructured the front office in, in a lot of ways. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so uh, what we tried to do was um, put everybody in a, in a position to succeed. And um, a lot of what we thought we could bring to the table uh, and why we are as intimately involved as we are. And when I say we, um, I'm including both myself and a guy named Brandon Lieb, who is part of our ownership group and uh, – and brought the opportunity to me in the first place, a friend of mine back from, uh, from graduate school who I've known 
the last 20 years very close with is a guy that played professional soccer when he got out of out of college in in the early days of MLS and 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 is uh for when that part of his career ended has been in in brand building and marketing um and uh and between the two of us uh have had this kind of entrepreneurial um marketing content community engagement career path uh which which we think really was what was lacking in the front office when we showed up. So when I showed up, I saw, um, you know, a team that was being kept alive, but didn't necessarily have any real kind of vision, structure, strategy to it, and didn't have a sales and marketing apparatus, and it kind of, in a way, fallen out of relevance in the city. Um, so what we tried to do was uh, get get a strategy set and get people focused in areas where, where we think played their strengths. So uh, Mike Keller, who had been our club president, um, put him in a, posi- in, a, in a different role where he can help me build out the stadium and uh, he can still be the liaison with the league where he does a great job. But also we want to in- unleash him in more of a biz dev role where he is uh, going to be speaking to clubs both domestically and internationally and trying to build out our profile and our, aware- our awareness on that scale which marries up to a, a broader vision of things, which is how is Charleston an attractive place for players to come and play and get developed, uh, get developed, get to the next stage of their career, and then hopefully move on uh, and get to fulfill their dreams wherever it is at a higher level here or a higher level overseas. And having partnerships uh, and a network uh, globally really matters. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing is I, I uh, brought in uh, a really great, um, younger guy named Scott Kronitsky, uh, who worked for me at my old business in between stints at Google and Pinterest. Huh. So he, uh, he saw kind of the, the startup world through my business, uh, but he was also in these you know massively successful sales organizations. And I brought him in to be the chief revenue officer and put um, the marketing and community engagement and sponsorship responsibilities under him. And uh, and then Brandon and I are supporting uh, both the soccer and marketing and operations uh, functions real time, day to day, sleeves rolled up. Uh, like I said, me getting down here uh, where we have our expertise. So I'm I'm trying to stay out of the way on the <laughs> on the personnel soccer perspective, right? That's that's Brandon's that's Brandon's world. He'll he's him and coach. They've forgotten more than I'll ever know. Uh, but I'm working on the facility. I'm helping Scott push revenue uh, because I've done that. I've, I've stood up a business. I've you know built a culture. I've gotten a business on the Inc. 500. You know stuff like that, which you know all those things are are good muscle memory to have. So trying to give everybody the opportunity, and then from those you know everybody else in the front office to get them talking to each other. Um, so that everything is feeding everything else, right? Nobody's just going off in a different direction, and and. It really was, uh, when looking at it from afar during that, that shadow period during the year, it was obvious to us that it needed this help. And, uh, and as my dad and my brother and I got together and got serious about this, we were attracted to the club because of the history, because of the town, because of the profile of the USL Championship. But we loved the fact that it wasn't this, this turnkey thing that we were doing. And they looked at me and said, you know, do you, are you ready to jump in on this? And I was, and I said, yeah, this is awesome. Like I'm ready to do it. I, I want to be there a day. I want to be there, you know, every day. It's an incredible challenge, but I, man, if we get it right uh, and can get this club 
not just back to where it was, but to new heights, uh, riding kind of the wave of USL growth. And then for me, I'm looking out six years and saying, man, what's going to happen when like the media and marketing machine is cranked up for the World Cup? If we have this thing humming along and we hit that rising tide, that's why we did this. Like mm-hmm. in, in the simplest statement, that is why we did this. I like hearing that that is attractive and that the USL is a good league to do that in, in your opinion, uh, so far. I mean, I think that's really great. Um, how about uh, Patriots Point, or the new stadium, rather? Um, is that mm-hmm. location, I hear that it's going to be a better location for people in Charleston as far as being closer to the city. Is that is that true in your in your estimation? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We, um, you know, when the, when the decision was made to sell the stadium, you know, we were looking to put it downtown or near downtown to get it into more central location from where we could draw more population wise and, and also get more younger people out to the stadium. So where they live with, with the colleges and that accessibility, getting up to Daniel Island from downtown was probably 20, 25 minute uh, drive. Um, Not much going on around it. And you look at the clubs that have been successful and, and there's also a, lo- a longer-term development plan down on Patriots Point where, where they'll be more and more built up around it in that specific location. So hmm. today we think a better decision. Tomorrow we think, you know, in the next year or two, as stuff pops up around it. And then again, as that's locking in and, and we think we've got this thing back on the tracks and you have the mass kind of media blitz, that's why we're, we're, we're pretty excited. But... Um, if we didn't feel good about it, we wouldn't have done the deal because we had the we had the the, the right to kind of walk away if, if we didn't like the venue, and uh, yeah, we're we're really excited about it. Awesome. And what speaks to me is you're you're in the business world, and so that's still as someone who's successful in the regular business world is is interested in some of the uh, the the viewpoints and and the the cool things that are about to happen in the soccer world in the United States. Again, uh, I personally like to see that as a fan of the USL. Um, as far as structuring it's a big structuring the front office it's a big uh, debate and something people talk about a lot this year in in the nerdy usl circles about having a coach that also does technical decisions uh, that also does gm decisions in the usl and i think someone put a stat out there that perhaps only 30 percent of the usl coaches um, are not having to do all the gm jobs and, and i know that's one thing you changed when you came in I know you came in after the the Brian Anunga deal, but um, this affects that kind of situation, right? Yeah, it does. I, I my, my whole thing is it's one. It's just a lot to put on one person, and um, and also I think it's hard when you have to negotiate and then turn around and and be you know the the coach and the developer and the uh, and the motivator um, and. What what we set up down here is, I think, a much more collaborative situation uh, where our staff, I think they're great recruiters. They have enormous networks. There's been a great pipeline from, from different places, you know, the, from the Caribbean and, and other feeders into this, into this team and, and since we've been around so long. But I think now having a different set of resources who are in the ownership group um, and 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 have that and have the team construction uh, be a little bit more collaborative. Um, it's 
I, I think it will. My, my thesis is that it'll, it'll lead to better, uh, better built roster construction. And then uh, we also have added a coach, um, which I think helps, and um, and other resources, kind of technical resources, if it's GPS and video and scouting. You know, that what can you do, kind of from a software perspective? And I think all those things matter because. For me, this is what I've seen in my very short tenure being associated with USL is everybody's stepping up their game. And I'm not saying this to speak about us, but I'm saying this generally is you can see the types of ownership groups that are coming in and the experience that they have in sports, soccer specifically, in business, and the capital resources they have. They want to be in this league. It's awesome, right? We want to grow it. We're all in it together at the end of the day. But that means that everybody's got to elevate their game. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I think, heavier hitters now. And to do that, everybody's got to step it up. And that, that means getting your house in order and everybody really um, performing to the top of their ability. And, uh, and we're making our decisions based on that. And, and, and we're taking that to, to everything else, to the revenue side of the business, to the facility side of the business. Uh, what are we doing with our players on and off the field, um, both to help them develop as players, but also as human beings, right? How can they, how can they live better? How do they eat better? How do they train better? Because uh, we know the other teams are doing it. So we came in with that mindset, and uh, I think that's, that's going to be, those are going to be the table stakes to compete as this thing continue, continues to grow. I love that. We're, we're mixing the old and the new a little bit. You know, Mike Enheiser is a guy that uh, we have – terribly underestimated year after year after year. And I've been really impressed. Our whole show has been really impressed with um, what he's been able to do with guys that are not big names yet. Right. And we see his players leaving for, you know, better money and, and the people who pay big money will steal his players basically. And, and we've seen that with the noon We just talked about uh, for $50,000 to Nashville SC. So the guy knows what he's doing, uh, but it sounds like you're going to give him a little more resources to do so. Uh, what are we looking at this year as far as uh, bringing in players and, and Mike uh, doing what he does again? Yeah, so I mean, he's done an amazing job at that, and uh, and I think you know reputationally, uh, guys want to come and play, and players have moved on. And uh, we're what we're trying to do is create an environment where he's he's got even more at his disposal, and that doesn't mean just you know here's more money, you know go spend more on you know go spend more on guys. Um, what what we said is you know let's let's have a philosophy on on how we want to construct the team. Let's get these guys out there um, so they can put up, you know, they can showcase themselves. And, and if we become known as a great place to come and develop and move on, I don't think that's just good for us. I think that's, I think that's great for, you know, for our league. I've heard you guys talking about it. People have been writing about it. You know, I think Ta going, going up is awesome. Joe uh, Kuzminski went over um, to Haifa uh, on loan um, right after that. And that's great. I mean, it's exciting. We have some guys on our, on our team now, you know, who obviously you know, we think and they think that they, they can move on and we're going to, we're going to do everything, everything we can to, to help them achieve their, um, their, their, their potential. And if that's what happens, I think that's great. But he certainly has, he hasn't had the biggest stack to play from. Hmm. Um, you know, I can't speak to, uh, you know, kind of to the older days. Uh, when Tony owned the team and, you know, the profile of things were a little bit differently, but certainly in the last few years um, with a roster that might've been cobbled together a little bit. Um, and it sounded like the, 
the, the maybe the the order was, hey, try to try to do as much as you can to make the playoffs with as little as possible. And what we've tried to do is say, how do we start to set ourselves up for longer terms, longer term sustained success? Hmm. Right. Like every transaction that we make has to have a purpose yeah. versus just kind of this patchwork thing. And to, again, to his credit and to the staff's credit, I think they've done an amazing job with that kind of patchwork. And last year was a mess, too, because not only did they have the uncertainty of what was going on with all the cancellations. I think we had six cancellations or reschedules. You know, we didn't play for basically an entire month of July. And then we had the compressed schedule at the end. I, I think a testament to them is, and why when I got really emotionally invested in it, was at the end of the year, they played so well, right? Even won a game, you know, on the road in the playoffs. So what we said to, to coaches, let's take a step back. Let's talk about what it is we want to be. And then let's make sure every decision we're making is driving towards that versus, you know, maybe just trying to optimize for the immediate term, which was, which was my, my take. And I, I think if you're going to, I think if you're going to do that and not be a big spender, you're going to be, you're, it, you're probably going to be trending in the wrong direction. Um, and I just think if you, if you build something from the ground up, you think about other sports and how they've done that cultivated uh, youth, you know, really built a strong foundation have have depth, which is a, another really really important factor. Um, I, I'm I'm confident we're doing that. I think if if you look closely and kind of read between the lines, you know, look at who we've signed, and look at who we didn't resign, and I think you can start to see a philosophy there, and I think that will continue. Um, and my my prediction is is that the club will get stronger foundationally over time. You know, any anything can happen in any given season. Um, but I think what's the trend line, and that's what we're trying to establish. Love it. Uh, moving forward, you got you got a deadline coming up, a pretty hard deadline, as he said. Um, what do you have to do before that deadline, and then and then tell us, you know, what are what are fans going to see in Charleston once once game day comes? Yeah, so uh, we have um, we're in the process of building out our team facilities. Uh, that's kind of going on in earnest, and then. Uh, next week we'll start to uh, kind of clear land and, and get uh, get the, the the seating capacity built up, and then what we're going to spotlight in the city, or I'm sorry, in the stadium is the best of the city. So this is a food and beverage town, hospitality, and we're going to try to bring as much of that to the stadium as we can. I think we can do a pretty good job of it, um, even though we don't have like a you know a full on permanent structure down there. Um, and what I'd love to see happen, because we're in a great location down there, and it's, you know, it's beautiful, we have an awesome climate, is if we've got those amenities and we're continuing to add them over not just the course of 2020, but as we go forward, um, I would say as exciting or more exciting product on the field um, and a packed house might be a smaller crowd compared to some other facilities, but I think if it's full, and it's loud, which which building a very very intimate environment, um, and and building out our supporter section in those ranks, and giving them a reason to come back to the games. And, and there's a lot of fans down here who it seems have lapsed. Getting them back, and then getting the next generation who maybe had never been out to Daniel Island and been to a battery game, getting the younger people involved. I think that that combination um, in a great environment uh, with the best that this city has to offer. Um, with, I think, a high-level professional sports product in the field at a, at a good price, 
is um, mm-hmm. if we can do that, I think we'll we'll find a lot of success down there. Now I know Peter Wilt has joined the league, and it sounds like maybe you've talked to him. And if not, that's a that's a compliment, basically, is what I'm saying. But um, you know, fan engagement that's important to you. It's not important to all owners, I would say. I I, I mean, to me, it's I don't want to say it's the only thing that matters, but I don't know how you can succeed without it. Mm-hmm. If you look at all the successful clubs in this sport at any level. It starts there. It's that. It's what it's all about. It's it's why. I mean, it's why we came to to this game, and um, it's very much a community driven, fan driven game. Um, it it just is. I uh, I don't know how. I don't know how you do it otherwise. Mm-hmm. And um, if if they don't feel kind of ownership in it, uh, and that they're part of the process, I think. Um, I think you're going to have a really, really steep hill to climb, and that's that's where we're that's where we're focused. And it it goes way beyond, by the way, just the stadium experience. Yeah. I think that that's just that's just what you do on Saturday. It's what's happening the other six days of the week. You know, how are you talking to them? How are you listening to them? How is the team accessible to them? And that's the world we live in, and again, that's why I think we have a chance with this because our experience before this was about marketing, creating content to engage fans and communities. Um, so I, I think we have, um, I think that that's part of our DNA. Uh, I think that's totally our disposition. That's what we've been talking about. And um, you got to back it up, right? But, uh, but look, at, look at the successful clubs and championships. And, I mean, do they have the best community relationships? Do they speak most directly to, to the fabric of those communities? And do those communities come out? And in some ways, then, the, if it works, the communities kind of take over the conversation and they drive it for you. You have to give them that pathway and mm-hmm. you have to support them and you have to keep, you know, keep it in bounds. But if you do it right, they, they become the engine of the whole thing. And uh, that's when it gets really, really exciting. And I think there's a couple of teams in our league that are doing an amazing job at it. And I think there's going to be more and more, again, because of, of the type of, groups that are getting involved in this and the type of commitment that, that they have um, to make it succeed. I, yeah. And I want to correct myself. I said that owners don't care about fan engagement. I think they do, but I think the way you're talking about fan engagement is what I'm looking for, for sure. And and that's where I feel like mm-hmm. you sound a little like Peter Wilt there. And, and I like all the things you're saying. I think, like you said, some, some clubs get it and some don't. I agree with you. I, I think that's great. If I am to, uh, which I keep doing, I'm going to editorialize a little bit there. Um, uh, last mm-hmm. question. You mentioned highlighting the city, the food, the drink. I've heard good things about Charleston. It's been on my bucket list mm-hmm. of top soccer cities to hit up i'm going in a month and i can't make it to a game it just didn't line up with my schedule um but i am going to congaree national park and then we're going to spend a couple nights in the city itself what do you recommend for people visiting charleston to me the 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 the, like the charm of the city it's a it's an amazing city to walk around um so if you're down downtown on the peninsula Incredible history, incredible architecture. Um, I'm I've spent the last <laughs> well, I spent my whole life basically outside of a couple of years in school uh, in New York and L.A. Uh, and food is for my wife and I like our thing. And uh, this city has got, I think, per capita the best food I've I've ever seen. So um, I would definitely do your research and knock off a couple points. 
And then I would, I would also then just kind of leave some of it up to impromptu discovery. Hmm. But to me, walk around. Um, it's an incredibly hospitable city. Um, people are, are very proud. It's one of the things that what we, why we really you know, got attracted to it is it's a very proud city. And I think that that's, they're, they're good hosts. And uh, a lot of that drives kind of drives the industry. So just come down, wear a good pair of shoes, uh, hope for some good weather and, and bring your appetite. <laughs> what I'd say. <laughs> That's exactly what I like to do. So I, I like the sound of that. Thank you very much. Um, this is Rob Salvatore. He's the owner of Charleston Battery. New owner. Uh, you guys are up for uh, a new season. First season coming up here soon. Thank you so much for joining me today and, and talking to me about all of this stuff. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, thanks for having us. And uh, after your first visit, you're gonna you're gonna want to move here. So we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you at a game sometime soon. Wouldn't be at all surprised. <laughs> all right. Take it easy. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you. Today's show was brought to you by Roughneck Scarves. They can supply you with MLS, NCAA, USL, and many other U.S. national team. Any other scarf you can imagine, you can customize your scarf. Uh, definitely go check them out at roughneckscarves.com. As well, it's brought to you by Icarus FC, one of the best jersey makers in the United States. I hope you guys have seen those designs. You've probably seen those designs without realizing it. Um, Kingston uh, has their des- there's designed by uh, Icarus. You know, some of the best out there are, are designed by Icarus, and so I hope you'll go check them out. Also, you can customize your own jerseys there as well. A joy to work with. The guy works really hard. Um, the kind of guy that BGN should be partnered with for sure. So go check them out if you will, please. Um, hopefully next week we're going to get a real show out to you guys. So keep tuned. Uh, we'll have more interviews coming as well. Thank you as always for listening.